What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Today's episode of the show is brought to you by The Goat. The goat. The goat. Yeah, he looks like a goat. Yeah, because I was thinking like <laughs> he's the original, the, <laughs> the greatest, the original sponsor. You know when people say the greatest of all time sponsor, yeah. but he just is like an angry old goat. A billy goat that eats cans and fucks <laughs> anything that gets in its path. <laughs> it's Jason Furman. Yeah, Eins a wiener. Eins a wiener dog quip. I shouldn't really say that because that's your name for Jason, the Eins of Wiener. <laughs> Even though it's stuck and people all around the world, I heard people on Clubhouse saying it the other day, which was very funny. You know how it came to be, right? When he gave us those hoodies, yep. Jane loves her one, right? It's the blue that she loves and it's really nice, super comfortable hoodie. Mm-hmm. And she just has no interest in dog gear or dogs in general beyond like cuddling them. Yep. One day she couldn't find it and she's like, where's my, um, you know that blue hoodie? I'm like, which one? And you've got a few. And she's like, the um, Eins Wiener one. <laughs> Did you laugh immediately? Hysterical. <laughs> and I said, say that again. I'm going to send it to Jason. Mm. And I got her to say it again. And now we're recording a whole ad about it. Yep. So anyway, if you want dog gear, Jason's the one to get it from. Einswick Dog Quip. Yep. E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K? C-K. Yep. Dog Quip. Yep. Dot com. And before we wrap up, we've got a few more sponsors. In the, the pipe. In the pipe. Yeah, that's a better than saying in negotiations. Yeah. In the pipe. Looking to come on board. With the Einzawiener himself. The, the goat. The billy goat. <laughs> the billy goat's gruff. Let's start calling him the goat. <laughs> All right, that's it. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook, and very special guest today, it's Bertie O'Shady. Hello, fam. How are you? I'm good. It's been a long time since you've been here. Yeah, well, my dog died, so I kind of- Oh, way to drop it on us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, to be fair- Thought we are going to build up to this. We're gonna, <laughs> to, like... to be fair, Glenn announced it before I had announced it. Oh, way to make me feel guilty. <laughs> No, and I told you that was totally fine because you actually did me a favour. Yes, you did. Because I was hiding and then I couldn't hide any longer. Mm-hmm. Hey, stop everyone. I've got an announcement to make. It's not raining. <laughs> <laughs> it is an announcement. It was though. a brief interlude. Well, I had to do that because the week before the last episode, Pat goes, don't talk about the rain. I don't want to know about it. And then the last episode, he started going, oh, it's raining. I was so, just talking about how we could hear it. Yeah. Your dog. <laughs> it, died. it died. So Luna died. She did. Yeah, she did. So tell us about what happened. So she died at the beginning of January and I probably knew end of last year that something was up. Mm-hmm. And I realized that we're probably entering our last chapter. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, no, no, you're just visual. You know, you're just imagining things. And I'm like, I feel it in my core. Something We are heading in a stretch. And then basically what happened is no one could look after her anymore. Like she had skin issues, she had anxiety, she lost weight, she was stressing so much she could only sleep when she was touching me. And in the end, you know, you had to make these awful decisions that probably they sit well with me now and I'm going to share how I came to a place of peace. But, you know, you're making also behavioural euthanasia decisions. So Mm. it wasn't about extending life, it was about... How do we honour life here? How do we honour our journey? How do we honour what we stand for, our legacy, with the values that we incorporate? And how do you make that call when your dog actually still has moments of happiness and you're still going to put it out? Mm. That's always the hardest thing, I think. Like from experience, every dog that – I've never had a dog just die. The fuck is always like required to be put to sleep, unfortunately. Well, I have as a kid, actually. But I think one of the most difficult things is as a person that understands dogs pretty well is that I think dogs for the most part just live in the moment, right? Yes. And they don't think about good times that they've had and they don't project to good times that they may have again. They just 
they feel what they feel right now, which is one of the most amazing things about dogs. I think that that's one of the like the treasures about them, and it makes making it that sort of decision that you know you have to make when they're having a bad time. You go, oh well. To that dog, the world is horrible right now, and they're not remembering. They're not like an old person laying in bed remembering being young, right? They just know that everything is shit right now. Yeah, but she still had really good moments That's too. That's the issue. And then, you know, so the process also had to then come to, okay, it's not about just the quality of life for my dog. It's also the quality of life to my family. Mm. And, you know, like like I was going away for a weekend away with friends and my beautiful husband, he's like, that was not fun. She was so anxious she could not settle. She was looking for you nonstop. And it wasn't more separation anxiety. It was just he's like something switched in her head, like something just changed. And, you know, when you looked at her sometimes, I'm like, did you actually have a seizure right there and then? But I I just thought I'd come onto the show today. And it's probably a show that I have to actually have quite a lot of courage because it's so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But I want to tell people – what helped me a little bit, you know, how did I come to a place of peace? Because I think if your dog is not steadily declining, it's more complicated than I think certain tools really help me mm-hmm. to make those processes and those decisions. Mm. Well, I think hit us with it because it's something that pretty much everybody has to come to. Like it's so rare these days because we have such good health Dogs eat well for the most part, even if they're eating shitty kibble diets. Kibbles are pretty good these days compared to what they were in the past. There's so much medical care available to dogs. Dogs are well kept for the most part. They don't roam the streets and get hit by cars so much anymore. So it's actually really rare for a dog to die. Just die, right? Like, In my experience, most dogs sort of reach an old age decline to the point where the decision has to be made on their behalf. They, They don't get to make that decision. So I think that any tools you have for that would be helpful to everyone in the industry because everyone's going to face it very sadly. That's exactly right. When you're contemplating the whole euthanasia aspect, the question that keeps circulating in your mind and it it becomes very cyclic all the time is, am I doing the right thing? Is this the Mm. right time? Mm. And there's a horrendous amount of guilt and suffering that you're actually going through during that period because I can recall several dogs and I know I've mentioned this story many times. It doesn't matter if it was the podcast or students that I've trained or just friends in the industry. But Dutch, that one there, the one I'm pointing at on the wall that people can't see from the podcast, that big boy. Stunning boy. Stunning boy. And he was so brave, but he died a horrendous death because I made it last too long because I kept my own suffering about not doing it too early, but I left it too late. And I beg anybody don't ever do that to your dog. Don't mm. don't ever let it go too late. I still suffer today over what I did to that dog. Mm. I can't – I have PTSD over it. I still – I look at him and I just remember – and it's terrible, but the last thing I remember is how much he was suffering from dying from cancer and I left it late. And even the vet said to me, he goes, don't leave it too late, Glenn, because these cancers can be painful and horrendous and I left it too late because I was a coward about it and I didn't want to, I loved him and I didn't want to lose him, but I fucked that up right royally. I wish I could beg him for his forgiveness over it. But the thing that I suffer with most was that he wagged his tail the whole way through it, like the whole way through right mm. to the, the last minute. He still showed nothing but pure love, even though that he was in horrendous amounts of pain, like his body was just writhing in pain. I honestly thought he was going to pass away over the night peacefully and woke up the next day and he was just in an absolute shit show. So the advice that I would give to people is if you're suffering with that thought, was it a little early? No, it's not. Like if they're at that stage where everything is going to hell before it gets there, you're better off allowing that dog to have the dignity of passing peacefully and being at peace than you being at peace over it and accepting that you've done something out of love, a great gesture out of love. I even saw something a while ago on human euthanasia, the debate around it, where it's becoming a little bit more accepting around the world where this old woman was begging to be put to sleep herself. And because of the laws, they just wouldn't let it happen. So they just literally had to let her ride it out the whole way until she passed away, having seizures, being in an immense amount of pain, drugging her to her fucking eyeballs. And yet she 
begged her family, she begged the doctors. It's all televised. It was on national TV. Mm. You know, she's saying, please let me go. Please let me go. I just don't want, I don't want to be here. She said, I'm just in pain. I wake up in pain. I sleep in pain. I'm in pain all the time. You know, she said, I just, I have no quality. I can't control my bladder. I can't control my bowel. I can't eat anything. I don't want to be here. It's not that I'm insane or anything like that. She said, I'm just tired and I'm in pain 24 hours a day. And that's what Dutch got to. He got to that point where I let him get into that pain point where he was just in constant pain. I'll never do it again. I'll never do that to a dog. I would rather it be a little early than a little late. And I know that's a hard thing and it's probably a hard thing for you, Bertie, and it's something that you probably want to talk about and probably other people want to talk about. And we've talked about grief and losing dogs and things before. But I do need to emphasize that out of everything, out of all the hurt that I've ever felt from losing dogs, and I've lost a lot, and I've been there with them and I've held them and they've died in my arms and with Narelle and I or whoever was with me at the time, it hurts. It hurts like hell. It never gets any better. It never gets easier. In fact, I probably think it always gets a little harder. The older you get, the more vulnerable you feel, the more your heart opens to the dog, mm. all the memories come flooding back. There's so many things that are there that just – they really punch a hole in your heart at the time. And it's a massive void that you just don't think will ever be filled. And it won't be filled the same. It'll be filled differently when it's done the right way. I can't forgive myself for what happened to Dutch, but I can forgive myself for every other dog because I did the right thing by them. By him, I didn't. But it also sounds like, you know, he was a teacher for the following dogs. As much as I try and encourage everybody when shit goes bad, all right, but mostly when it goes bad and you're sitting there wondering why and feeling sorry for yourself, you still have to ask yourself that very important question, what did I learn from this? Dutch's miserable final hours taught me that I will never do that to a dog again. I know that he was still happy to see me and everything like that, but I wasn't happy to see the state that I let him get to. Yeah, but now he's even sharing it with lots of listeners, right? So now his message is even carried on because I truly believe that certain dogs come into our lives for a reason. They're teaching Mm. us something. It sounds like, you know, Dutch's lesson is even – reaching more people now because, you know, this is exactly the question that so many people ask me and that's why I put a little online workshop together about, hey, how do you make those decisions? And it's essentially you want to celebrate life and not avoid death. Mm. That's what you want to do in the end. Anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about you because we came here to talk about you and Luna and share your experience with it and I know that's going to be a tough conversation but let's have it. Yeah, it is tough. So I'm, I'm like really noticing how I'm holding a lot of emotions and how I'm really, really thankful I'm in a room with lots of beautiful friends. Probably not going to be the most structured podcast, but <laughs> feel free to come on a ride with me. Essentially, what helped me the most was A, talking to friends who had dogs, like, you know, I message people. But in the end, it was this deep knowing of, hey, I just want to honor the journey my dog and I have been on till the last minute. And I realized in that moment when I thought about that, I want to honor just this process, our friendship, that love doesn't die. It's a never-ending love story. You know, they may be transitioning to different realms or into the afterlife or whatever concept you have about that. But Luna will be with me. She shaped me for the rest of my life. My best friends are in the dog industry. You know, people who come to my birthday party are the people I podcast with, the people I love, the people I hug, the people I tell them I love them. And she brought them into my life, so she will always be part of my life. And you did a good job with her. I think we, we had a beautiful story. Considering her behavioural ailments, you did the right thing by that dog. Just give us the refresher because it was actually like first time you're on the podcast three or four years ago that you actually told the story of how she came to be because you, you, you were the first guest, third episode, I think. Just give us the, yeah, the recap. Sure. I wanted a dog and I was not in a great place in my life. I felt very lonely and my husband was traveling a lot. So I got a dog from a rescue I was volunteering at. I'm quite a spiritual person, so I dreamt of my dog first and then I found her. She came into my dreams and I wanted her and so I made it happen within a week that I found a, a rental home where I could have a dog. I changed my career structure and I – yeah, I got Luna when she was in the 11 month old and I guessed her name in my dream. Like they, in the shelter, she was called Lotus and I'm like, no, her name is actually Luna. And they're like, how did you know that was the name she was given at birth? I'm like, I just know. And there were lots of coincidences and essentially I knew she's my dog and I had to fight for her a little bit because there was competition because she was an odd looking dog. But essentially what happened is like the rescue, I don't want to judge them in any form or way, but it was hard to get the dog 
for various reasons. That's typical of a lot of rescues. They make it a, a challenge to get the dog for sure for many and various reasons. There are many reasons and, and I don't want to go into this, but it was very clear she had extremely separation anxiety. She was malnourished and she hadn't had any socialization. And it was clear when you when you walked her, like she she just wasn't used to the world and she hadn't seen many men at this stage. And also her breed was unclear at that stage. She just is, you know, like me. Lots of things. <laughs> but in the end, she was my dream dog. And in the end, what happened is she took me on this amazing journey where because our house burnt down, she became human reactive. As in my neighbor's house burnt down, but we were evacuated and she launched at a police office and that really, he got so scared that it was reinforced. And Yeah, so there was a huge fire next door. Yeah. You guys were evacuating out from that crazy treehouse that you lived in in the middle of the night. Fire engines, police cars, sirens, people yeah. all over the place. Smoke, exploding glass. Like yeah. it was full on and that just – you know, just added another stress layer. And on top of that was just an inexperienced dog handler. Mm-hmm. And how long had you had her when that happened? Not long at all. It was like days, right? It was like, like v- I just not long at all, weeks maybe. Yeah. Okay. So it was very early in the, she'd already had a lot of issues. And then yeah. at what's going to be her forever house, there's this giant torment in the middle of the night. She has a huge reactivity episode, yeah. gets massively reinforced because of that reactivity Really significant problem. Yeah, and genetically also, you know, malnourished. She was de-sexed way too young and just like a clusterfuck. But I love her. And and she took me on, right? So we found each other. And we went on this journey and, you know, became a dog trainer. Didn't actually train many dogs after I did the NETF, but he brought me on this mental health journey for other people and how to help them with their anxiety when their dog is reactive. And I think Luna did well in the end. Like, you know, she had a great life and and I could bring her to workshops and we were a good team in the end. Like we worked really hard and had a lot of support and most of those people are still my friends. She also got to socialise at your parties and when we had gatherings up there, she got to come out and meet people instead of having to keep her away. She got to come out and be with dog people who understood dogs and were... Yes, and doggy daycare, that was very helpful. Mm. Like... Like observably, I watched her change pretty significantly from the first time I ever met her. I was the first time I met you at at an event that time. And I think it's fair and reasonable to say that you got her to the maximum of her genetic bandwidth of capability. Thank you, sir. Like I think that you did as well as could be done with a very react, like a dog that was set back heavily from the jump. I think that it's fair to say you got her Mm. as good as she could be. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm tearing up now. What is really important here is that spiritual component that we, you know, she entered my life and coming to terms with having to say goodbye to your best friend, essentially, because I think the reason why we're so attached to our dogs is because they're so safe. They don't hurt us in that way that humans can or family can or friends can. They see you when you have a bad day, when you have a good day, like, you know, your dog, he was with you till the last moment and he wagged his tail. So. Mm. I think that makes them so special because they see the most vulnerable version of you and they're with you. They believe in you. They just, they teach you a lot. So for me, dogs are a massive teacher in people's life. Maybe not every dog, but certain dogs, they have a certain connectedness with you in your heart. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I noticed that day that a couple of months before she actually passed that she's not well, I got violently sick the rest of the night and I vomited so hard that I actually cracked a rib. Yeah, right. Fucking hell. Yeah, and 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 Dan's like, "What's happening?" And we blamed the dinner, we blamed the food, and in hindsight, I'm just like, I noticed what was happening. Like it was just such a deep, deep knowing that my bestie's gonna pass. And the interesting thing is, I'm actually really okay with death. Like I worked heaps in palliative care. I nearly died a few times. Like I'm quite comfortable about the concept of dying. But because she was so close to my heart, it was a very new type of dying. It was a very new type of letting go. What was really beautiful is I just said to her, I'm like, we can do this. We're going to celebrate this journey. We're not going to hide. We're going to make it stunning and beautiful. We're going to go out with a bang. And I kind of gave her a pinky promise and she looked me in the eye and she's like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is, we're not going to go out small. And we're also not going to approach it with fear. And I think that, you know, this honoring of you're going to struggle, but this is just how it's meant to be. This is the way life goes, life transitions, life growth, new things go and come. That's just how it is. And for me, being an eco-psychotherapist these days, dogs are an extension of nature and they teach us that we remember we are not 
on top of the iceberg. We are part of a universe, part of a world, part of nature. And I think that's what dogs tell us very often in those moments, these lessons that we forget. For me to come to terms, I just said to Luna, I'm like, you need to tell me when you're ready. I just need to know. I'm going to listen, but I know that you and I can communicate and I will know when the right time is. And I just trust it. And that's what happened. She got significantly worse behaviorally. And because she didn't like touching by other people, I knew that I didn't want to send it to many vet visits. Like I'm like, I promised her, I'm like, you get as little vet visits as you want because she would have diarrhea for days afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like the sedation didn't touch her much. Like the doctor's like, it's hard to sedate your dog. Yeah, they seldom do. I think that often the, I'm no vet, but often the doses that you give for sedation to for vet visits are often very mild, right? And 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 especially if the dog's already reasonably aroused, that tends not to even touch the sides. And also adrenaline can pull a dog, or a person even, like a long way yes. out of a fairly deep sedation. You know, I've worked with heaps and we had good improvement and we had beautiful vets in our life. Like we did the right thing. We met beautiful vets in our life. But it was just a promise that I'm like, we're not going to extend this. We're going to do the most minimal test. I promise you that you won't be in pain. And I just made a promise with her. So what happens towards the end, I'm like, okay, I can see you getting more nervous. You keep licking your nose so that it can't heal and you dig it up. And, you know, she got more neurotic and COVID happened. And then I'm first like, oh, maybe my behavior is neurotic because, you know, I do have anxiety and COVID didn't help. But it wasn't that. It was just more. And then... It's no secret that I like meditation and and non-ordinary states. And one day she just came into my meditation and she's like, just letting you know, it's getting close. And I bawled my eyes out again and I'm like, but thank you for telling me, I'm going to honor that. And it was just, you know, she she always meditated beside, I was meditating, but she was lying beside me and she just looked me straight in the eye when I woke up from my meditation. She's like, yep, you heard that, did you? And I'm like, I hear you. And I'm not saying that everyone has this connection with their dog, but you know your dog really well, whatever type of relationship you have, whether it's how they engage with you, how they play with you, you know them. And they, I feel if you look for it, there is a connection possible. So then in the end, we just celebrated life. She could do what she wants. She could lie on the bed. You know, she could, she could have as much from my plate of food, whatever. Like the rules were gone. We just had a really good time. And the hard part was to honor that she's probably going to cope much better with this than me. Mm-hmm. Like she's a creature of the moment. Like Luna, to the last day I have a photo of her being happy ass because she knows how to be in the moment. She doesn't care that she is going to be put down soon. And the photo that I put up on Instagram is her just before she got the lethal injection. And she just was happy because she had me. We played her favorite game and I knew how to make her happy on her last day because we were good friends. Mm-hmm. And for her, my dog is very fruit driven. So she got whatever she wanted to eat. Like I think in the last week she had everything from my sushi to, to some of my curry, like cheese, <laughs> like she knew what good food tasted like. There was one more really important decision that really helped me understand that brought a lot of peace to me. And that's a very unique story. But I do feel that many people have unique stories with their dogs at the end. And it's not so much a sad story. It's just I feel like the end is not just about sadness. It's just about feeling a lot of things intensely. And it's a roller coaster of emotions. You go through so many processes. I was in an altered state of consciousness in my meditation. I was quite deep in. And she was hosting her own wake. Like she came in and she hosted her own wake and essentially she she showed me her past lives and she showed me what the purpose of dogs for us and essentially giving us pure love and extension from nature. And that's it's a very personal view of things. Like this is just my birdie's private person interpretation. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it's a beautiful story for us. And essentially what she did is she, in this deep trance state, what she did is she was lying there and, to me, what looked like other spirits or dogs came in, they say goodbye to her. And, and it was interesting because she all of a sudden looked her age that she actually felt and she felt so old. Like she didn't look like when I'm not, you know, when I'm right awake, not in trance, what she looked like. And what happened was she showed me that everyone needs a best friend and that's why dogs don't judge the character of you as a person because they have so, they believe in you so much and they just always see the good in you and they hold you accountable too. But in the end, the message I took away and she's like, you know, even the devil at the end needs a friend. That's why 
devil even has hellhounds because he doesn't want to be lonely at the end of the day either. Mm. So I got quite deep and that's just me. That's, you know, our story. What was so important to me was that when it all happened that I allowed myself to unfold, that I made a promise to myself, if I want to honor Luna, I have to honor my emotions here. Like I can't pretend this is not an ordeal. And that's what happened essentially. Like I was taking on a bit less work at the time. I was probably crying much more, probably was more emotional, probably had to talk to my friends much more because honoring that friendship to me was also just allowing myself to really experience it. And I don't know, is that for everyone like that, that you want to feel it? Because I I was so tempted to just keep working and there was a part of me that had to keep working just to keep a normal reality because Luna is a structured dog. She benefits from routine. So I couldn't just let go of her routine because that would have stressed her more. But it was also important just to really feel all the feels, the good, the bad, all the stories, everything. I don't think you can not feel it and experience it when it comes to the head, when it comes to the point of the dog being put to sleep and spending that last day together. I have tried not to feel it and not to allow it to happen, but the day it's happening, it goes down. Like I can't stop it. It's basically like a damn wall exploding. I've literally sat there and gone, okay, I'm just going to stonewall it and I'll go away in private and I'll experience. But I mean, I think every vet has seen me collapse, you know, like every vet that I've been to that experience with. And I remember my vet in Melbourne when he came to put one of my dogs down, a really beautiful guy called Murray Clark, who was a talented vet. Murray was like a really old school guy. And uh, I remember he came around my house to, to put the dog to sleep was Storm, one of the dogs that's up there in the picture. She's one of the females. Yeah, Murray was, you know, like a really old, stoic sort of country guy. Like I was suffering pretty hard about it. And I wasn't particularly close to Storm, but she was still part of my group, you know, like part of my family. And I loved her still. She was my wife's dog, my my first wife's dog. She was closer to her, but I still felt all the pain. And I'm sitting there and, you know, like we're embracing and we're both very emotional over it. And I looked over and Murray had tear in his eye. I didn't expect it. And, you know, like he asked the nurse that was with him to leave the room and he just stayed there with us. And uh, he, you know, he just put his hand on my shoulder and I was really fucking taken back by that. I really, that was a really special moment to be with somebody who patted me on the shoulder because he knew that I was really finding it hard, but he was too. Like it wasn't just a job for him. And I think a lot of times people don't forget that, for many people in the veterinary industry, it's a hard thing for them. Oh, i talk about it in a second, but our vet was severely touched by it. Like, you know, this, it felt like a family funeral nearly. Like it was it was done in our be- most beautiful part of the garden and, and everything. And, and we, we, everyone said, that's the dream to go. You know, the birds were singing, the sunshine. And and it was, it was done with so much love and I had so much respect for the vet team. It was in the middle of COVID. Like you could see they had, you know, bruises from wearing the masks all day long. They were stressed. They were staffed mm. down and they were still so kind. They even brought a really thick blanket for Luna to lie down so she's the most comfortable. You know, you just adore people. And Bruce, our vet, he's seen a lot of things and I'm like you still show up with your heart and I haven't known him much at all I didn't have a close relationship and he's like I see what you and your dog have and it's phenomenal because she didn't actually get much sedation she just got the lethal injection and he's like not many dogs with her history could do that and I'm like no she trusts Mm. you know we usually think in this industry that it's usually the women that suffer incredibly over this and I think women feel and I could be just typecasting this, but I think women feel that it's easier to be a bit more vulnerable and show emotions than men do. I think that might be changing a little bit. But one of the amazing things for me was the experience of my life, seeing men that I, you know, like I really believe were quite stoic, hard men in different fields, like hard for their own reasons. It doesn't mean that like they were warlords or anything like that, but they were just very emotionless people in life, in general life. But when they lose their dog, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I've seen men that I've known all my life. I, I knew a guy who was a ex-Vietnam vet and he, he was a hard guy, old school hard guy. Wasn't a, a dickhead or didn't prance around like he was a, you know, like a gangland warlord or anything like that. But I just knew that he was a, he'd seen things in his life and he was a hard man. He used to have, you know, that old thousand yard stare. 
when his dog died, I didn't expect to see him because it only just happened. And I remember my mum was very good friends with his girlfriend. And I went around there and, you know, I saw the picture of the dog and I said, oh, I'm sorry, mate. And he just lost it. He just bawled his eyes out in front of us. And he put his hand on my shoulder. He goes, I'm sorry, mate. I'm sorry. He goes, I just love that dog. You know, he was everything to me. And I said, oh, don't be sorry. I, I get it. You know, like yeah. I, I understand. He goes, yeah, it's hard for me. I'm really, really struggling with it. And I'm glad that I saw that, you know, like I'm glad because I thought that if you cried, you were a sissy, you know, like if you, yeah. if you did it in front of other people, it was something that you should go to a room and do it and not do it in front of other people. But he just let go. He just sat in his chair and, and cried and he held a picture of the dog and then he told a story about it. And we've had a couple of shows on some various episodes where we've talked about the hardships of this, but there's things that you see in life good and bad things that change you, that change your path and change the way that you think about things. And that was one of those redefining moments for me. Like I kept thinking if a man like him can cry over the love of his dog, why am I feeling so bad about it? Why am I, why am I trying to hold it back? And why am I trying to not let people see it? Um, Again, repeating an older story. I remember Lieberg. Ed Frawley. Ed Ed Frawley. Thanks. My old drinking buddy from the States. Yeah. (laughs) Your mate. Again, it's another story that I've told, but Ed typed this whole blog about his little house dog and when he lost it because he said, I've been around dogs before and we've lost them and I've been sad and shed tears over them. And he said, but when this little dog died because it was in our life and it was with me all the time and he goes, it's our little bed dog and the dog that got away with everything the other dogs did, he said, fuck, man, you know, like I suffered. I really suffered. Like I felt deep pain and, and huge loss over that little dog. And he said, I just, I didn't see it coming. It's nice to know it's hard to live it at the time. Like it's hard for everyone. Like you are going through in the story that you're experiencing and the stories, you know, you've done it with your dog, Ryder, and it's happened with multiple. I mean, I've lost a lot of dogs. There's a whole wall of dogs up there that are all gone and they're all in little bottles and jars over there. That little place is, uh, is, is full of a lot of memories of some of my best friends and the entities that I loved most in life, you know, and still think fondly of them. It's crushing. but. How could I not? And how could anybody who's listening to this, even though it's a hard episode, how could anybody not wanted that? That hard part at the end, which feels like it's unbearable and it, it literally feels like something is being pulled out of your body forcefully that you don't want removed. And it does. It feels like skin is being rendered off your body while you're still alive. It's a horrendous feeling. I still would go through that to have that experience with those dogs, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. It's the prize of love. Yeah. Right? It's a flip. Love is a flip coin. Yeah. You have the same amount of pain because you miss the love you have. And I think so many people these days go like, oh, I'm burned out. I, I don't feel alive. I'm so tired. I'm like, well, grief makes you feel alive. It's unpleasant as fuck. But mm. you, you know that when you're grieving, you had something special. What dogs don't want you to do is to close your heart off. You know, it's the opposite. They're heart openers, dogs. They're teachers. They're heart openers. And I feel like, you know, sometimes they give you a little bit of a reset. Like it's such an ordeal to lose your heart dog or your dog that you kind of reassess again, you know, like who am I? What am I doing? What, what's happening in my life? And I think it's just a part of growth as well to experience that. But in saying that, Allow yourself to honor the experience. Allow yourself to fall apart a bit. Honor the ordeal that it is. Talk to your friends. I think I cried most days and it's many months after that and I still miss her. I still hear her. I still feel her. She still comes into my dreams. But that's why I called the workshop and the thing that I'm doing a never-ending love story because I will always have her in my heart. Like she's not gone, gone. Her legacy is not gone, gone. And she made me a better person, hands down. I think what's tricky about the passing of a pet yeah, because we've done, I think this is the third or fourth episode we've done, you know, of 200 mm. on this topic. But it's something that comes up because of, you know, the nature of the short lifespan of dogs. And it's always going to be coming up in the industry because most of us multi-stack dogs, right? So I've got multiple of them that are like half a lifespan apart. So you're constantly having dogs die on you. I think people are a little bit afraid in general, not just in the industry, but like in general, to admit how significant the impact of their pet dying can be. Because if your parents die or like a a family member you live with or even you don't live with, 
you're expected to fall apart. Like that's what's meant to happen. It's you grieve the loss of someone. It's a big deal. It's mm. a whole thing. You have a big funeral. Everybody gets together. It's a whole thing. But the chances are that the type of relationship that you have with your pet, especially your dog, is like a stronger, kind of peculiarly more connected than to any human because they see you at your best and at your worst and they judge nothing because they're just there. And like you could have a loved one that you live with that passes, right? Like a human loved one, but like, and and you have good times with them and you have bad times with them. You have time together and you have times apart, but they probably don't like sleep on your bed. They probably don't follow you into the toilet. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like the, intensity of a relationship that I think a lot of people have with their dog, not just industry people, right? So like a lot of dog industry people listening to this, that, you know, that's who listens and they're thinking about, yep, like that's me. I'm super connected to my dog, but I think most people are, but we kind of don't admit that so much. And so when there's this horrendous, like it feels horrific that your pet has died and that you had to make the decision to do it for them everybody kind of feels like the Lone Ranger in that moment a little bit, right? Because you don't realize that everybody else is just as connected about it, but people are sort of like, well, it's a dog, get over it, right? Yeah, it's not I a think- person, it's a dog. And you go, yeah, but whether it's a, a person or a dog or an ant, it's a fucking very intense relationship that I had with another being and that relationship is severed. That's worth acknowledging at, le- at yes, least. it is. 100%. And I think it, I think. It is so true and I think, you know, there is more openness about it from doctors and psychologists. But I think the first step is allowing yourself that you own it for yourself, that you give yourself permission to go like, I don't need to be tough enough. And also you can prepare to a degree about it. Like I knew, I talked to people about it, like I knew what to do on the day. For instance, I knew that for Luna it will be important to have some form of routine while having a lot of fun. I've My vet team was very informative what's going to happen on the day and they were super supportive. So I think there is also that, the, I think, don't avoid the topic is what I'm saying. Mm. You know, and they are teachers of being in the present moment, but I think that's also that you kind of go like, okay, um, instead of pretending they will live till they're 100, Maybe I'm allowing myself to just cherish what it is so that I'm not going to be like Birdie cracking her ribs, throwing up. <laughs> hey, I know you have like a list of tools that you're probably going to work through about decision-making and grieving and that kind of In stuff. In the workshop I do, yeah. Yeah, and we can hit the headings of those today. But one thing I'm, I, I sort of want to touch on, because this is the impact that I felt, especially with every dog that I've ever had die, is that especially towards the end of their life, dogs need a, a strong structure. Right. And so take Remy and Valerie, for example, like Valerie's the last thing I see before I go to bed every day because she gets up on the bed and harasses me and like insists on like being cuddled. Good night. And then she leaves. <laughs> and then Remy sleeps for the most part. He, he moves around a fair bit, but he by the morning he's asleep in his bed, which is next to mine. So he's the first thing I see every day. Right. And then there's a routine around him and her because there's such fucking lunatics that my life takes a structure that they are a big part of because they're high maintenance dogs, not because of behavioral problems, but because of drive issues, right? Like they have to be taken out because otherwise they go crazy. So they're a huge part of my life in that I see them all the time. I interact with them all the time, but they also dictate a big chunk yes, of how I live. Yeah. And so what I noticed when, when Ryder died, like suddenly I don't have that. Right. Oh, I felt that terribly. I'm like, I don't bushwalk every day for, a certain amount of time because yeah. I don't need to. And in good and bad ways with him, like, because he was fucking dangerous. So it's like, okay, I'm no longer a person with a very dangerous dog. But also now I'm not a person that has a reason to do a lot of the things that I did. And it's like you find yourself like just like, oh, well, what do I do? Like I don't know what to do in this hour that is usually allocated to my dog. Oh, it's so weird. It's such a gray zone. But there was also for me there was this gray zone of, wow, I have time. Mm. Also, wow, I have so much brain capacity because I had to make so much planning around Luna's anxieties. Like in the end, she had panic attacks when she heard a fly. Do you know how many flies you have on a property in the Blue Mountains Mm. in the National Park? Yeah. So in the end, there was relief. Yeah, and I think that can be very difficult for people to come to terms with, right? I think it's just honouring yourself. I think, you know, this is what we don't talk about is that it's not just about the dog. It's also about you have to be okay too. You know, like I probably could have prolonged Luna's life for a couple of months, but my family and I would have been in high states of anxiety because Mm. the management would have been insane. Yeah. 
no dog wants that you suffer as a human either or as an owner. Talk about that a bit. How many people do you see with what you can talk about <laughs> that are killing themselves, not literally killing themselves, but like driving themselves into the ground for their dog? Too many. I literally approach dog when I have a consult and I'm like, what's that dog teaching that person? And and it's usually being in the present moment, kindness, forgiveness towards yourself, teaching, courage, friendship. But there's also this thing of I'm um, like, you're living through your dog. Mm. You know, like this is not an equal partnership and it's probably never fully equal because they're in your care. But I think that a lot of people, they – have this, you know, the dog has a better social life than them. The dog has more activities, purpose and drive than they do. And fair enough, a lot of, like I got lots of joy of training my dog out, like it was a partnership. But I think that no dog wants that you suffer for their dog. Like I had ages ago, decades ago, a lady whose cat was on so many medications, so many blood tests a week, so many incontinence issues, so many wound cleanings, and the cat was like 20 years old or something. And my client nearly lost her job over looking after the cat. Mm. And I'm like, something's not right here. I don't think that your cat would want that for you. Mm. So I think it's also having, you know, this taboo topic of, are you hurting looking after your dog? Mm. Is your family hurting looking after your dog? And thankfully I have a family who's very upfront, and my husband's like, I love you dearly, darling. But we are in prison right now because of your dog. Mm. That's very true. It's a good point. And it's something that not enough people give consideration into is that some of those final moments can be completely suffocating because you just get in a routine of locking yourself down because all you're doing is medicating and comforting a dog that's in complete distress. But you feel like you can't let that, burden go like you're just not ready to let it go it's a hard one it's hard like i said it's a difficult one with dutch like when was the right time and because of that i feel that i'm better prepared to but there's a lot of people who are still on their first dog and they just don't understand that sometimes these can be unpopular topics and even though people don't really want to hear them they kind of need to know it because no matter what it's something that you're going to experience of course we want to think about the best things that are going to happen. Of course we want to think about all the joy that we're bringing to our dogs. Like some of the people that I know, their dogs are far more popular than they are on social media. Their dogs are celebrated. Their dogs are worshipped. Their dogs are loved. Circling back to a point that Pat made before, I know people that on two hands they could count the amount of times that they've had serious problems with their partner that have caused serious stress in their life. But They can't do that for their dog. It's difficult for them to look at a time where they could go, oh yeah, my dog was just like a full on shit this time and this time. Like it's, it's very minor and their dog's love is just unrelenting. The dog just loves you all the time. And even though you and your partner might have a great relationship, there are times where your partner's, the life that you share with them is turbulent. And there's times where you really do find out we're different people sometimes, Mm. but you're not like that with your dog. It's like the movie coming to America when Eddie Murphy first meets that lady he's going to marry and he says, do you have a favorite food? And she says, yes. And he goes, good, good. Whatever what is, you like. <laughs> yes. What is your favorite food? She goes, whatever food you like. But that's what a dog does. You know, like a dog just basically goes, fuck it all. Son of a bitch, I'm in. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for a moment to drop that line and you yeah. finally did it. <laughs> yeah. It's, I have to, um, I just noticed that I just want to make sure that, you know, when, when my family told me Luna is – there's just so much management involved with those decisions. And I think if you're listening to this, maybe ask your family how they feel about your life. And, you know, my family was very supportive and they gave me a timeline. It's not that, but they also held me accountable to a degree and just showed me, to you, this is normal. To an outsider, there are lots of rules in place. Mm-hmm. There was a time when Ladybug had another serious injury with her back, even after she got operated. And uh, I think you knew about it. Narelle was telling you, we were worried that that was going to be it for her. Yeah. But somehow I just knew that it wasn't. And I, we took her to the vet and um, she was in a pretty bad way. She was in a lot of pain, you know, like she wasn't walking. She started dragging her legs again and all those things are not good signs. But I spoke to Jane and um, our vet and she said, oh, this is not good, Glenn. You know, like she just kept giving me that. I think we have to make a decision here. And I said, Jane, I don't feel it in my bones today. I said, give her an anti-inflammatory and some pain medication and let's see how she goes. If it's still not right, I agree with you. We'll make the decision. I'll man up and we'll do this. But 
today is not the day. I'm telling you, I think we can manage through this. Literally the day after, she was back to herself. She changed overnight. She came right back. Now, Ladybug, we're a prisoner to bug. She's got to be managed all the time. She constantly tries to kill herself, and not in a suicidal way. It's just that she's got so much drive still that she'll go parading around the place, colliding into things. She's still fucking fast, which is a problem. Um, <laughs> it's funny to watch. It's funny to watch because she looks like a drunk person running. She'll hurt herself or she'll ingest something because she gets so wound up by those knobs outside, Randy and Macho, that she just gets overwhelmed with drive and anxiety and then goes, fuck it, I'll, I'll eat my blanket. And then we've got to pay, you know, another squillion dollars to get that taken out of her stomach. She's had like three operations now. Like she's <laughs> she's a she's a fucking nightmare. She is. Yeah. And I love her, but but I love that little dog yeah, yeah. to death. You know, like I really love her. And somebody said a joke to me online one day about she's a pain in the ass, just fuck her off or something like that. And I know that they meant it as a joke. And I'm not going to name the person. I'm not even going to tell you guys who it was. But I rang the person in person and I said, listen, <laughs> if, you, if you were in front of me now, I know that that was a joke. And I said, but I don't really find that funny. And I'd probably snatch the air out of your lungs right now if you were in mm. front of me. That's how fucking angry I am. And they said, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I really am sorry. And I said, I don't even like sounding like this. And I don't even like going dark on you. And I said, but I love this dog. And you got to understand I know that there's going to be a day where I have to make a decision about how long she lives and she won't see old bones. I know that. It makes me sad. It fucking cuts me up inside. But she's still got so much fucking fight in her. And that's what I can't extinguish a light. As painful as Bug is, as much of a mess as she is, she still fights to live every day. And she wants to. Every morning, you were talking about the ritual with Remy and Valerie. Every morning- Every morning that I'm here, when I'm not away working or anything like that, every morning there's a ritual where my wake-up call is Narelle brings Bug up and puts her on the bed and Bug just bites the fuck out of me. <laughs> and that's, that's my wake-up call. And both of us love it. We have a little wrestle. She bites my fingers and arms and legs and, you know, like it's our ritual every single morning. If Narelle's not fast enough, Ladybug is trying to bury through the door to get in so she can get on the bed. Yeah. And she'll still try with all her might to jump up on the bed, but we just don't let her. So Narelle picks her up, brings her up, and we have our full-on fight for about five minutes, which is just – it's a love fight. Beautiful. We rumble with each other. It is. It's a beautiful thing. And, it is. But that's the thing, right, is that she's not ready to go. I think you know and you don't. I know. And that day that we went to the vet, as I said to Jane, let's try her. And I said, because this little dog has got more fight than you acknowledge. And I said, I know you don't know her and you're considering everything as a vet, as you should. And I said, but I know this dog. I know that if we can manage this bout of pain that she's going through and I can get her through the other side of this, she'll be fine. But if she's not, I promise you, I will bring her back and we'll have that discussion. That's the tricky part, like with her. And and I know many people that have been in sort of somewhat similar cases when it's, it's just a injury like purely physical the brain of the dog is unaffected it's not old age there's no tumor there's no like it's just like no i'm in a body that's broken yep and i'm not prepared to go yeah there's like a dog will fucking chew its own leg off if it gets stuck somewhere like it's not so concerned with its body working correctly as it is with surviving Mm. and i think that's what like becomes the core tenant to you and to others who have an injured dog where it's like, no, that dog, it will manage. It's just in a broken body and I'm prepared to put in the work to manage that broken body for the dog. So carry on, right? It only becomes unhealthy and a problem when the dog is unwell and is having bad times. Whereas like, bug, I've never seen her, like I didn't see her at the peak of her injury, but I've never seen her look even remotely like an unhappy dog. Even at the point where she just had a surgery and I saw her and, and Narelle was like carrying her in her little sling. Mm. She's like thugging over to me trying to fucking bite me in her sling. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> what's that movie where the guy has, oh, I can't remember, but it's like, take me over there. Let me kick him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but I think, you know, this is the thing, you know, your dogs. And I think, you know, Glenn and I always joke that. If Bug was in a body of a Malinah or a German Shepherd, no one could handle it. Oh, her. she'd be shocking. Well, in that instance, she'd be actually be dangerous, right? Yeah, like she that, would. That's the yeah. issue with crazy little Frenchies like that. They yeah. would act like we we laugh and it's fun and you love her and all that because she is what she is. But in Randy's body, fucking hell, she'd be dangerous. Oh, she'd be. She'd just be a wrecking ball. Yeah. And you're right. You know, like 
we kind of thank God that she is small and contained and everything like that because she literally is a wrecking ball on two good legs and two wobbly legs. But I can't you- see you having little plague bites, bites in the morning, you know, with macho because I'm like, macho with ladybug spirit, oh, my God, those bites would hurt. Macho is different. He's actually, he's a cuddle puss where Randy would literally, like he'd run around on the bed 50 times in one second. It would look like a tornado of of clothes (laughs) and naked fat guys underneath. (laughs) You know, like, and I know that from experience because the times that I've tried to have Randy inside, he can't sleep. He gets so excited that he just shreds the house to pieces. And people say, well, you fucking dog trainer. Why can't you control this? Because I have to put too much restraints on him to stop him doing it. And I don't want to. Yeah, I think I, I think that's I, I just don't want to. Before people fucking get their messaging fingers ready. Like, yeah. bug is the way she is because you like her like that. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Like, yes. you, you cultivated a lot of those things I, because you enjoy her being like that. I don't have, like, the Frenchies don't have much obedience at all. Bug knows how to do scent detection before she hurt herself. She was finding birch, you know, like we started in the room, then we started in the shed and she was actually doing good. I was going to enter in a nose work. So she's good with things like that. I taught her to do Holden barks and bite work and everything like that, but she doesn't know how to drop on command. Yeah. And that really fucks people up. And I said, why do I need it? They're gimps that live in the house. Yeah. I'm not taking them out into public areas where they have to be on their best behavior while I'm sipping a cafe latte. And I would understand if people want that. If you need that or you want that, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Do what you need to do. Like there's three people here that have been involved in dog training in one way or another with people. When you see that there is a lifestyle need for a dog to be more under control or less under control, we can cater for the lifestyle of what people need. And that's what our jobs are effectively. Like we look at people and say, what's going to stop the anxiety between you and the dog and develop the relationship? And they will say, these are the two things or one thing that I really need to get under control right now. But for us, I can live with all these things because it doesn't bother me and it doesn't bother Narelle. And and you live in dog wonderland. And we live in dog wonderland, exactly. There's just a memory coming up and I was just so grateful that despite Luna and I not having done any proper obedience, but you had manners, that the last couple of moments with the vet were really doable because she had all those key survival techniques down pat, you know, and it was just so touching when the vet said, wow, you know, there is just this obedience in her. And I'm like, it's just trust at this stage. You know, it's just knowing what's coming. I was really grateful that it was a peaceful experience. And then it was just really honored and it was just beautiful. It was quick, but it was really nice. And I was just looking at your cabinet with the ashes from your dogs and I sprinkled Luna all over the national park and in the garden and all sorts all over the place. And there was one part where I sprinkled her down the waterfall in the middle of the national park. And then I heard a dog bark and I looked down and there's a puppy, a golden retriever puppy. Well, actually it was a Labrador puppy. And I'm like, oh, how did a puppy get in the middle of a national park into a water pond kind of scenario? And I'm like, that's quite odd. But guess what my next puppy's going to be? One of those? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Elaborate on that, right? Because I think that can be really difficult for people when they've had a dog pass and it's their only dog. The decision to get a new one can feel like betrayal of the other. So I needed time away. And also I liked my life not having a dog. Like, you know, when you have a high management dog, you realize how much brain capacity and resources and money you'd invest in that relationship that you committed to. And I liked that. I'm not regretting it. But it was really nice to go away for a couple of days and not worrying which person can actually handle my dog and where do I feel safe or, oh, wow, maybe I don't go away because it's just too hard. Or now when someone comes on the property, I don't have a mini panic attack making sure that Luna is inside a room and can't launch through the window anymore. You know, like it's just life's pretty relaxed these days. And it took me a while. Like I think it took me a couple of weeks to adapt and my beautiful husband, he was so patient with me and just like, it's okay, you know, and, and he was grieving too. And he, he and I have been through a lot, but I know that Luna's death really gotten to him as well. Like it's probably the most vulnerable I've seen him. And it's just part, you just realize it's a part of your family and they structure you enormously. It's the first thing and the last thing you do usually. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, coming to terms with a new dog entering your life, I needed time to know what I want and what I don't want. And then just honouring your needs. So, for instance, I love shepherds. I love, love them. But a shepherd doesn't fit 
my work. It doesn't fit that I want to have group people and classes at my property with people who probably have trauma background. Mm -hmm. So I need a dog that naturally follows my purpose in life. So probably, you know, a working line retriever is probably more along those lines than a dog that can guard and protect sometimes. So you got a new puppy on the way. When's it arrive? Well, the pregnancy has been confirmed and if everything goes well, I can pick it up at the end of June. Cool. Exciting. Yeah, I know the name too. What is it? Came to me in meditation. Like I love that all my dogs really make me feel like a little kid that believes in wonders and miracles. I love that about my dogs. It's going to be Pax. Pax. Yes, P-A-X. Cool. Bringer of peace. Peace. Oh, kiss of peace. Like Pax means peace. How exciting. I'm very excited. New chapter. And yeah, no, I think I think the most thing is that everyone has their own journey, but I was dreading it so much. But in the end, I realized in hindsight, yes, it's an ordeal. It hurts, but it's still beautiful mm-hmm. because it's a legacy. It's what you make out of it. So tell us about the package that you put together as a result of all of this. Yeah, so basically people reached out to me and it's like, hey, can you share your experience? And so it's a bit more of a heartfelt experience rather than putting scientific journal papers together. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it is an online workshop where I talk you through the stories and then the tools. So the tools are very much about how do you stay present? How do you stay kind and gentle with yourself? How do you make good decisions? What should you consider? What is practical? What is actually needed? You know, rather than telling yourself a story, what's actually needed in a moment? And how can you accept and value this moment and various strategies to it and how to implement it? I think also people get to know my approach a little bit and if they want to have more help, then they can book a Mm one-on-one. And you can get the recording if you want to, like the event is at the end of April. And if you want to get tickets, just email me at hello at birdieoshidi.com or it's on social media and Facebook. But the idea is just don't be so scared of it. It's still, despite it hurting, it was a very beautiful ending to a story because it's heartfelt. Mm -hmm. We'll never forget it. So... Mm. Um, it's a never-ending love story. I think everything that you've brought to the dog community, I think there's a lot of value in it. And I, I think especially with this, that's why we're talking about it is because everybody faces it at some point, right? You like will. That's, like be prepared. Don't wait. That's the inevitable end. And having front-loaded yourself with the tools to make the right decision, cope with the decision that you make, that kind of stuff is probably worth the investment in the time to learn those skills, right? Yeah, I don't think you will learn it when you need it. Like I think yeah, it's, that's I think, right. I think you're so emotional. Like I was lucky that I had some of these tools available simply through my training. But if someone, like I was a potato, like <laughs> I was, it's so emotional. And, you know, like I was so glad that the vet was so organized and, and you know, the last moment with Luna was also really strategic that I'm like, how do I want to show up for my dog right now? Yeah. I think you just hit the nail on the head. We, we talk about that in dog training all the time in that during the stressful experience is not the time to be teaching the dog about how to manage anything in that time. That's the time to use the skills, the mechanisms that you put in place when things were going well. And that's a great point. That That's actually very worthwhile pointing out that people should look to do the same. The mechanisms for grief should be learnt prior to being in the state of grief so that you're mm. mo- most susceptible to learn it when you're unemotional about it and you can take it in and then or apply you remember it later. even your memory is impacted and it's a roller coaster like you know this is not so much about oh you're not going to feel it's just to give you an idea what's actually happening and what's normal like I had a lady calling me the other day and she had uh, something she grieved and she's like I feel so abnormal I'm like no you're going through the absolute normal process mm. and she's like that feels so validating knowing I agree with both of you I think I wish that I had something like this to access when I was going through, especially Dutch. I think that it would have really helped me get over it and still not carry a lot of the shit that I carry with me over it. Like I just literally feel like a ball and chain around my ankle over that. Like I walk through this room. Sometimes I even think I should take that photo down and not look at him, but I don't want to do that because I love him still and I want to honor him. You know, like he was a magnificent dog in a lot of ways, very underrated sort of dog. It's still distressing nonetheless. The other point that I wanted to bring up was I went through something like that with breeding. When I first wanted to get involved in breeding, there wasn't a lot around. You couldn't get on YouTube and watch clips of it happening like you can now. Like there's a lot of information where you can actually physically see somebody else doing it live on air Mm. and watch it all happening and see the problems occurring. You had to actually read a book. That was it. 
But I remember a colleague of mine said, hey, I'm going to have puppy soon. My dog's really calm with people being there. If you're happy to come and sit there and watch, I'd love to let you see what goes on. I've done it a few times. I said, I'm dropping everything. I'm coming around. And I just sat there with a notepad and pen and just watched in amazement how this mother dog just whelped their puppies. I was watching my friend and colleague just non-interfering as much as they possibly could. And I said, shouldn't you be doing something? And I said, only if I need to. You know, this is nature at its best and that's what you need to do is that, you know, only if something is going wrong, that's the only time you step in. The rest of it is just purely observing and letting genetics do what genetics does best. I was just full of questions like how does the mother know how to do this, like break the sack, do all this? And they said this is evolution over, you know, millions of years since life was created. You know, like it's insulting to think that we can come in and just step in and do it. They know what they they need to do. Mm. Like it kicks in. Nobody needs to teach them. It's like this is what you need to do. This is what, how you do it. And he said she'll sever the cord. She'll do everything. And he said, you know, sometimes you get an inexperienced female who doesn't really know what to do and has a little bit of experience and is in shock until the the genetics, you know, snap and, and say, wake up, there'll be a puppy in a sack on the ground wriggling around and I'll be looking at it going, holy shit. And he said, you know, there are times that you'd, you'd step in, you'd come over, you'd open the sack, you'd sever the umbilical cord and then introduce slowly the puppy to the mother and if everything's right and it's all going well, the hormones will kick in and everything will take over. But if I didn't experience that, if I wasn't there and present in that moment, That would have been hard for me when I first had my puppies to know, just kick back, Mm. just let it happen. One thing that did happen with my female at the time is that she didn't immediately give milk. But because I spoke to this person, they got me ready for that. You know, like I had a preamble of everything that I needed to have just in case. So I had dietary milk there. I had the fake puppy nipples and everything that I could, you know, on the bottles that I could get. I even knew the the right amount of flow. I knew the temperature it was because this person showed me how to do it. And again, if I didn't do that, I would have been freaking the fuck out because the puppies weren't getting fed. There wasn't enough coming down. I had to step in for a few things, but I'd add to that. I had them to call while things were going down and they would say, just leave it a little bit longer. Let them suckle, you know, like just see how it goes. Remember the pinch test I showed you to see if they're dehydrating this is how you get them involved in having a having a different type of milk. Um, you can even rub the nipple on the mother to try and get some of the um, scent from her so they'll take it without rejecting it. And all the tricks worked. Everything that I was having problems with, all those tricks work because I had somebody in my pocket that was mentoring me through the entire routine. I've never had that with grief before when I was dealing with the dogs. I never had somebody mm-hmm. to show me until I experienced it. And now I know how to deal with it better even though it still fucking hurts, like we said, and we all acknowledge, I can deal with it better, but I never had somebody with the first couple of ones that when the vet left and when we were raw and you're just sort of sitting there by yourself and you, you know, you're in your lounge room and you're alone and you think, what do I do now? You know, I didn't have anyone to talk to me or give me a hug or anything like that. My wife was distressed. She was, you know, like she was in a bad way and, and I was in a bad way. Every, everyone was in a bad way over it because we just didn't know what to do with ourselves. Some, I think sometimes if somebody was there just to, to sit down and have a chat with and you might not feel like it at the time or you might feel like it. You might feel like I've got a bunch of shit that I really need to get out and I just don't need I, – I don't know how to, to deal with it at the moment. It's an ideal for sure. Mm. For sure. And I was really lucky that I had friends and a very supportive family, a beautiful husband who was just – Letting me unfold for a while, you know, not being efficient. Tell us again how people can get in touch with you if they're interested in doing this. So it's on my social media, Birdie Oshidi, or just email me, hello at birdieoshidi.com, and I send you the details. All right. Before we wrap up, Birdie broke the news about getting a puppy. Finally, after decades of having a drought. So you're getting a Doberman? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, madam? I know how, how much I love How dare you? <laughs> so I've put it out there for quite a while that I haven't been able to find a Roddy. I've had some very kind offers, but some of the dogs may have worked out. But there's a lot of show lines in some of the dogs as well. I finally got somebody who's interested in breeding working line dogs. They've got a litter on the ground at the moment. Ooh. Larry Crone wrote a message on his Facebook saying, I think it's about time I wanted a Roddy back in my life. And I said, I feel you, mate. I'm doing the same, but I just can't find a Roddy at the moment and I really would love one. And so would Narelle. 
we want a Roddy. We've, we miss Roddies. You know, I've been known for 30 years as being a, a Roddy guy and I just, I don't have a Roddy. Finally, one has entered the spectrum Ooh. and there is a, there is a puppy with my name on it. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. That's very When do you exciting. get it? So we're we having babies together, Glenn? Very close. <laughs> Very close. It's going to be, yes, it's uh, it's about, I think they're about three and a half weeks age now. Uh, I'm speaking with the breeder. She's doing amazing things. You should see, like she sends me videos of the puppies in the whelping box while they're asleep and she's playing all the sound effects, like she's got crowds and thunder and everything and the, the pups are sound asleep while they're eating and playing with each other. She's got all the shit going on in the background. So they're used to the hustle and bustle of noise and everything like yes. that. But she's also working with me. Like she's saying, anything else you want me to do? Like what yes, are you suggesting? So I said so weird and strange surfaces, temperatures, like all those sort of things and just certain behavioral things that are important to us in the working dog world. Try and observe these. They're going to change a lot. Because the mistake a lot of people make, including myself in the past, is you'll see dogs and you go, oh, this one, this one for sure. And the dog's five weeks old. Yeah. And then by the time it's six weeks, it's a sissy. And, you know, the one that was a sissy the last week is the one on top. But then that all changes again. And it's like alphabet soup. Like they change so rapidly. But what you want is you want a constant undertone of courage. And you do want a dog that's showing those traits consistently. So primarily what I've asked her to look for is the dog that's very confident and most consistent in its work, you know, like a dog that likes to investigate. It's exploratory. It's got ongoing and consistent drives as a little pup. Still no guarantee that that's going to turn out to be the ultimate dog, but it's a better foundation to begin with. It's something that the dog is showing a character trait of, this is something that I have congruency in, like I'm I showing it across your, the board. Your description of your puppy is so cool because I'm going to steal some of it because my description to the breeder was very different. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like so healthy, confident, goofy, spunky. Thank you. And a cuddler. <laughs> so we've got a name picked out as well. You have. Mm. I don't know if I should tell it online right now or I should just wait until I get him. Why not? Go for it. Mando. Mando. Yeah. After the Mandalorian. Because the Mandalorian, who's the bounty hunter on this new Star Wars thing, his nickname is everyone calls him Mando. And I thought, what a cool name. I like that. that. It's cool. It's nearly as cool as mine, Mr. Cook. Yeah. (laughs) It's exciting. Me and Jazz are lining up some new puppies too. There's going to be puppies everywhere. I know. There's going to be like we're going to be co-parenting. How exciting. It is. Well, thank you for having me, beautiful people. Thank you for doing it. All right, that's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe, do that through mm. whatever subscription service you download mm. us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. Jump into Patreon, a couple of bucks a month gets you access to a massive backlog of information. A little bit more than that gets you regular lives going forward and, you know, all kinds of shit. Or if you don't want any of that, you can just find any tier value that you want, just throw money at us. Daddy needs a new microphone at times. We need soundproof rooms. Like we're, <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. Because you probably heard Macho barking his fucking ass off while we're doing yeah, the episode yeah. and a motorbike riding by. Well, I don't want any of that shit. I don't want to hear those hums or barks or anything. I want to be in complete blissful silence because I'm the one who edits this show and I'm the one who hears it and I'm the one who tries to disguise it every week. <laughs> and that adds 20 minutes to my fucking editing time. Yep, so we need a soundproof room. <laughs> we need a soundproof room. All right, let's work towards that. The other way is Teespring. That is straight support. Buy some cool merch, look cool, give us some money. I think we get a few bucks per shirt that you buy, which is very exciting. I've still got to put Jane's one up. Bite Sports Curious. Bite Sports Curious. I have not done that. I've been slack. I've got to put that on Teespring. It's called Spring. Spring. Yeah, Spring now. Yeah. If you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is jump in the Facebook group. That's where a lot of cool stuff happens is you can group source some information in there, be kind to everybody in there, and you're very, very welcome. Or you can shoot us an email. We are info at thecanonparadigm.com. Goodbye.